Jesus went through six trials. He was taken six times before different leaders. Not only was he taken before different leaders, every single one of them was illegal. They were illegal by Jewish law. They were illegal by Roman law. And they were trying, admittedly, the Bible tells us that they were not trying to catch him for something he did wrong. They were trying to figure out something that they could accuse him of. And the one thing they finally landed on was they asked him if he was the Son of God. And he told them the truth. Yes, I am. And that's what they nailed him on. And then from Thursday, it slipped into Friday, and we call it Good Friday. It seems like anything but good. If you've seen the passion, you just saw the little window of time that they ripped his body to shreds and they abused him. The creator of the universe said yes to his heavenly father and willingly came and allowed them to do that to him for you and for me. It's called Good Friday. Growing up as a kid, I could never understand why they called it Good Friday. It was, a hard, it was the worst of all days. If Jesus were to look at the span of time and pick a time in history to come and pay for our sins, any time in history would have been better than that time. If he'd come now, they, they, they would have probably just given him an injection. If he'd have come other times, it would have been a simpler, faster thing. Any other time in history, there was never a time in history where crucifixion and death was so horrible. It's, it's like he picked the worst point in history and he said, that's when I'm going to do it. Because that's the time that's going to prove how much... I care. I'm going to do all of this because I care. And what does God do? He takes the most offensive symbol in history, the cross. Being crucified on a cross was the worst possible thing you could imagine for yourself. It's the most degrading way to die. You're not only a criminal, but you're the worst of criminals. And God chooses in his grace and his mercy. And Jesus lays his life down on a cross. And God takes that symbol, the most horrible symbol in history. And he changes it. And now we wear it around our neck. And for thousands of years, it has become, it has become the symbol of hope. We see it on hospitals. We, we see it in our national cemeteries where, where believers who died giving their life for their country, instead of just a stone, they have a cross. Through Europe, there are cemeteries with crosses. Churches through, across Europe, across our country, and around the world, have the symbol is the cross. 
He's taken the most horrible of symbols and, and, and made it this symbol of hope. We see it everywhere. Sometimes in life it feels like you just don't, you're not getting things done. You're not getting everything. Do you ever feel like you're not getting everything done? Either you run out of time or you run out of money or, or you run out of energy. And, and the, world, the world is actually filled with unfinished projects. One of, our, one of our national monuments, Mount Rushmore, it's unfinished. It's probably never going to get finished. We leave so many things. You're going to die leaving things undone. I'm going to die leaving things undone. At the rate I'm going, probably some of the projects in my house. We, we, we just don't feel like we have enough time to get everything done. The only person in history who, who will have finished everything was Jesus Christ. The only person in history who will have finished Everything, even when he was 12 years old. Look what it says here in John. Jesus is 12 years old, and, and he says, I came to finish the work my father sent me to do. Finish. I came to finish the work. 12 years old. He knows what he's here for. He knows what he's going to accomplish. And there's a passage of Scripture later on in John, in verse 19, where, where, where it begins to tell us, about Jesus on the cross. And look what it says. It said, knowing that everything, see that? Everything. Knowing that everything had now been finished. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. And then there's more in this passage that kind of explains how they, they get him something to drink. And then let's pick it up. And, and, and when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Let, let's just leave that passage of scripture up there for a minute. It is finished, he said. It is, and, and, and the Bible says he actually shouted it. It is finished. He, he didn't whimper it. It wasn't like, oh, it's, fi it's finished. He shouted it. It is finished. And the Bible goes on to give us so much more clarity about that. It, it says, and I've shared this from time to time, it says in the temple. You see, on the other side of town, in the temple, the veil, the fabric, the thick fabric was ripped from top to bottom, totally ripped in two. Up until this point in history, nobody goes into the Holy of Holies, only the priest, once a year. And it's a whole, it's a whole ordeal. He, he goes in there and there are bells hanging on the bottom of his robe and, and there's a rope wrapped around his waist and as he goes in, he, he unwinds the rope. Do you, know, do you know why the rope is there? Because if God does not accept the sacrifice, if, if, things, if, it's, if it's not genuine and God doesn't accept the sacrifice, the priest instantly dies. 
instantly smitten, and they pull him out by the rope. But no more. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, and he said, it is finished, that veil was ripped in half, and from that moment forward, everything is new, everything changed. We now have access to God himself. Anyone on the planet can stop and talk to God. And he will hear. It is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. Matter of fact, he's coming back in three days. He, 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 he did not say, I'm finished. He, 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 he didn't say, he, he didn't say, I'm, I'm done. It says he gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. He willingly gave it. Jesus Christ is not a martyr. He's a savior. He willingly laid his life down. Martyrs, their life is taken from them for their faith. Jesus willingly, willingly gave his life. He's our savior. It is finished. The most Important, probably three words in your life and in my life. Because without those three words, we don't have hope. We don't have purpose. We don't have his power at work in our lives. We don't have his peace in our lives. We don't have pardon for sin. We don't have purpose. We don't have a place in heaven. When he said it is finished, he fulfilled over 380 prophecies in the Old Testament. There were prophecies starting early on, at least in Exodus, some, some theologians think even earlier, but, but starting in Exodus all the way, 380 specific prophecies that instantly were fulfilled when he said, it is finished. And for us, it's three words, but, but the Bible was written in Greek. See, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And those three words, it is finished, they weren't three words. They were just one word. It was one Greek word. Tetelestai was the word. And Jesus shouted that one word. Word and that word, that word, it was so common in Greek culture. It was used commonly by, by every, every, every different, every, every different person, every different occupation. When a servant said that word to Telestai, it, it meant the job is now finished. When a judge used that word, it meant justice has been served, and he stamped the, he stamped the affidavit. And he stamped it with that same word. It was a common word. Everybody understood it. When an accountant used that word and stamped it, it meant it was paid in full. When an artist used that word, it, it, meant, it meant the piece of art is finished. It is done. The masterpiece is complete. The telestai. When a priest used it, it meant the sacrifice had been paid. 
It is finished. My purpose tonight is to just explain why we call it Good Friday. Why it is a Good Friday. But here's the problem. The list is so long. It's, it was not a Good Friday for Jesus. But it is a Good Friday for us. Because of Good Friday, you and I have so very much. I'm just going to look at five of them with us. And then we're just going to close out this service with hearts of gratitude. But with, with, with this word, when he said it's finished, he did so very much. And then, and then on Sunday, he rises from the dead. And we're, we're going to dig into that on Sunday big time. We're just going to take a great look at that. And we're, and we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to enjoy that. But, but Good Friday, which just has always been the wrong way to phrase it for me. But when you stop and look at from our perspective and our benefit, and what he did for you and what he did for me. Let's look at five of them together. The first thing that I recognize, when Jesus said, it's finished, he instantly created a family. It's called the church. The church. And it's a family. And now... Now, it, it meant all races. It meant everybody. As a matter of fact, this family, the church, is going to outlast everything. It's going to outlast the United States of America. It's going to outlast this planet. And he is creating this family. You see, before the cross, there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. And the Jews were God's chosen people. And what was their purpose? Their purpose was to, to show the world what life was like to, to follow God, to honor God, to live the way God wanted. And they, and they frankly did a terrible job of it. But after the cross, the door was wide open. Now it's, it's not just his chosen people. It is open to everybody. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, look how Paul puts it. For Christ has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles. Paul was a Jew. Christ has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one family, by breaking down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. And then he goes on in verse 19. In verse 19, now you're not foreigners or strangers any longer. In other words, it's, it's not us Jews, God, God's chosen people, and, and, and the rest of the world. But you are citizens together, we are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. On Good Friday, Jesus started his family. And he opened it up to everybody. The second thing is he defeated fear and death. 
When Jesus said, it is finished, he defeated fear and death. We will all die. We're all going to die. Even the people that Jesus healed died. We all die. That's just the reality of life. Only a fool would go through life and not prepare for death. We're all going to die. And actually, we're all going to last forever. We're just not going to last forever here. We're going to leave here. You see, when you're a believer, and, and many of us in the room are, and, and you, you recognize who Jesus Christ is, and you believe that He is who He said He is, the Son of God came to die for us, we're going to celebrate that big time this weekend. And you believe that, then you know when you die where you're going to go. You know when you leave this planet, you're going to be with Him. The Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with Him. That's what's going to happen. But if you're not a believer, you don't know that. And you, you don't know what's going to happen when you leave this planet. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, meaning the Son of God, also became flesh and blood. See, there's a, there's a very clear reason that Jesus came and, and he was born just as a little baby and, and became one of us. It says, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And, and, and we live our lives fearing death. Verse 15, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. When Jesus said it is finished, he took away that fear of dying. I got to tell you, I, I'm not afraid of dying. I, I have no fears whatsoever about dying. I, I think maybe about everybody left back here. Maybe I didn't finish doing something. Maybe Karen's going to have to learn to use a hammer and finish the house. Or, 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 or that I might think about that, but fear of dying, I, I have no fear of dying. We live in this world of three dimensions. Even Einstein began to take us beyond those three dimensions. But when we, when we leave this planet and we go there, we are going to be shocked at the fact that life then is beyond three dimensions. It is going to be so much more than we could ever imagine. When Jesus said it is finished, he took away the fear of dying. The third thing, third thing that he did is he guaranteed my salvation. And he guaranteed your salvation. If you believe him. If you believe in him. Every religion has a list of things that you need to do to satisfy whatever that religion is. Jesus 
has done everything needed to be done so that you could have your salvation guaranteed. He did it all. There's nothing to be done except believe. Believe that he is who he says he is. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what we know about Jesus. He will finish everything. Jesus will leave absolutely nothing undone, including you and including me. In Ephesians chapter 2, I, I, I love this passage. It, it, it just gives us such clarity. Saving is all his idea. See, saving us, it, it was totally his idea. Theologians didn't come up with this. Religious scholars didn't come up with this. See, Jesus, this is totally God's idea. And religion is something he was never interested in. He didn't come to bring us religion. He's just, religion is not the realm that he, relationship is where he wants us. Relationship is why Jesus came to pay the debt for our sins so that we could be in relationship with God the Father. It's, it's, it's the whole reason he does this. Saving is all his idea, and it's all his work. There's nothing that you could do or I could do for our salvation. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. He finishes Everything. He never leaves a stone unturned, unturned or something undone. It's all his idea and it's all his work. It is finished and he guaranteed my salvation and your salvation. Totally on the merits of Christ. And what's cool about Christ is he doesn't have any demerits. Not like a lot of us when we were in school. He only has merits. And it's not by good work. There isn't a thing that we could do to get our salvation. It's totally by what Christ has done. And when Jesus said it is finished, the fourth thing he did is he paid the penalty for my debts on the cross. For my sins. Paul was a scholar. Paul was educated. Paul had the best of educations. And he was, he was educated by religious Jewish leaders. And he was a Roman citizen. And in Colossians chapter 2... Paul gives us real clarity. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, Paul understands how to phrase this in a way where it is absolute, which stood against us and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He paid the penalty that we could never pay for our sins. Could, could you imagine if, if, if your big debt was a MasterCard, huh? And, and you had run that sucker up so high, and then MasterCard called you and said, we are just glad to inform you that your debt has been totally paid. As a matter of fact, your, your debt has been paid and, and, and the card is gone. And, and, and if anybody checks your credit or does anything to find out where you, they, they, there's nothing. That, they won't even ever find out that you had that debt. It's just kind of a small way to look at how Christ has paid for our sins and they are totally gone. Our sins in the past, the sins that we're committing right now, some of the things some of you are thinking, don't worry, I won't be long this evening. Past, present, and our sins in the future. I heard a, a true story just lately about, about a, a lady whose husband died. And they were, not, they, they, they were pretty tight on money. And she just continued to pay the bills. And, and, and finally, she, she, she said, you know what, I, I just can't continue to do this. And she made a phone call to the insurance company. She had continued for over four years to pay her husband's life insurance. And when, when she got them on the phone, they said, she said, I just can't continue to pay this. My husband passed away over four years ago, and I just can't afford to keep paying this premium. And they said, ma'am, we should have been paying you, not you paying us. And some of us, we don't, we don't grasp this thing about Christ having paid for our sins. And some of us actually are still trying to do things to repay Him because of what we, we have done in the past. We keep trying to... See, we, we don't recognize that under His grace, on, on that cross, He paid the price for our sins. That means when, when we sin, His grace washes it away. We don't have to live carrying that. Which brings up my last point. When Jesus said, it is finished, he broke Satan's power to mess up your life. He just, he took that power away from Satan. There's a war between good and evil going on, no question about that. And sure, life is tough and we have difficult times in life and we struggle. And, and, but here's a piece of information you need to understand. We have got to understand who God is and who Satan is. Satan hates everything God creates. Clarity here? Everything God creates Satan hates. And God created you, and that's why Satan hates you. And that's why Satan hates me. That's why this war of good and evil is going on. Do you know something else about Satan? He can't 
create anything. He's not a creator. He cannot create anything. Only God can create. And everything that he, God creates, Satan hates. Satan's a destroyer. The Bible calls him out on it. Satan's a perverter. The Bible says Satan is a liar. He will lie to you all day long. And maybe in your life, you've been dealing with a hurt or a hang-up for years. And you thought a long time ago, you should be able to conquer. I can conquer this, but you've never been able to conquer it. I would tell you, this is Friday night. Every single Friday night on our campus, we have Celebrate Recovery. And if you'll give God the opportunity, if you'll be here on Friday night, if you'll give God a year, and it won't even take a year, but if you'll give God a year, He will take that hurt habit. And, and He will transform your life. And a year from now, or even less, you will look back so grateful that you were willing to allow him to work in your life that way. When Jesus said, it is finished, and he willingly gave up his life, Satan actually thought he won. He, he thought, I've, I've killed the Son of God. And then three days later, just walking through the garden, Jesus says, I'm back. You know, Satan has two tools, and I'm going to close with this. He has, he, he has two tools that he uses so effectively in our lives. One of them is temptation, and the other one is condemnation. And he's so effective with these. And one of them he minimizes, and the other one he maximizes. You see, when he's tempting us as followers of Christ, when he's tempting us, he minimizes things. He says, oh, that's, that's not that big a deal. You can go ahead and do that. That, 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 really, won't, that, that really won't matter. I don't know if Jesus really would be bothered. I don't know if that really matters to God. And he minimizes. But then when we yield to temptation, he maximizes condemnation. And he comes to us and he says, you don't, you don't, after what you did, you don't deserve. And he maximizes it. Because he's a deceiver. In temptation, he's a beguiler. It started back with Adam and Eve. And, and, and then, then when there's a problem, he just keeps talking about it and keeps telling you how horrible you are. And how God can't, that this is just too much. God can't forgive that. See, in temptation, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, this is a passage of Scripture that probably all of us believers should memorize because it deals with temptation so clearly. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way to escape so that you will be able to endure it. You cannot face temptation alone. You need his strength to resist it. And he will always, the scripture says, provide a way to escape that you may be able to bear it.
When it comes to condemnation, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes it this way. He says, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Church, we need to understand as believers, our sins, our sins, past, present, and future were paid for when they nailed him to the cross and he said, it is finished. He paid the debt. And the enemy of your soul will over and over again try and throw it up at you. But you need to know that this passage of Scripture and so many more like it give us clarity. He gives us the power to resist temptation. He gives us the power to reject condemnation and to tell Satan to go to hell. And by the way, he's the only one you could tell that to. We struggle with temptation and we struggle with condemnation. I think I'd like all of us to stand. I just want to take these, these few minutes and, and just begin to set up this closing time that, that we're going to have together. When you came in, you, you know, we've given you a little piece of paper. The color for this year was white. And, and you, maybe there's a temptation that you struggle with. Maybe there's condemnation that the enemy throws up at you. Could be anything. Maybe you've had an abortion years ago and that continues to be brought up. I got to tell you, there is nothing that we could have done that the grace of God doesn't forgive and totally wipe away and remove and take the guilt from that out of our lives. And I know in a crowd like, like this, this is our church family here on Good Friday. And all of us, every single one of us have things in our past. And the enemy of our soul would like to say, yeah, you remember that? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can say, so, Jesus paid for that. Church, as we, as we come forward this evening, for some of us, there's something that we're struggling with. And, and we just need to come forward and say, Lord, I need you to take this from me. For some of us, it, 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 could, it could be something that we know that we keep promising God that we are going to, and yet we just never seem to do it. When Jesus said to Tedelestai, when he said, it is finished, he completed the work. Let's believe him. Let's believe him. Let's not be tempted to believe 
the enemy of our soul who only will point to our failures in the past and our mistakes and remind us of them. I want this moment to be a time that we actually just settle into a quiet time with God. I'd like you to take that paper even before the band's going to come up. We're going to do a song together. And while they're doing it, I'd like every single one of us to take that piece of paper and you can write on there something that you, that you need to leave at the cross. Or you can write on there a promise. And I would encourage you, if you're going to make God a promise, get serious about it. You will look back on this day with a heart of amazing gratitude. Because here's what I know about, about so many of us in this room. We could take probably six or seven or eight hours and I could allow so many of you to tell your story of what your life was like before you accepted Christ as your Savior. And the difference is like day and night. The actual difference is like spiritual death to spiritual life. And those are the lives of us here in this room. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, just do it right here, right now. You could accept Christ as your Savior simply by recognizing who He is and believing it. And you know what you could do? You can come back Sunday morning and be get baptized. You can do all of that in one weekend. Talk about a celebration weekend. Guys, God has done amazing things in our lives as a church family. And I know so many of the stories. As we come forward, let's give him something that is in our past that, our, that the enemy of our soul keeps reminding us of. Or let's give him something in the future that we're committing to him that we're going to do with his help. Not so that we get salvation because that is a free gift from him to you. There's nothing you could ever do to get that. That's a gift. That's his grace. But because of that gift, we are saved for good works. Come on team, let's lead us in a song. I'd encourage you, feel free to come right on forward and nail it to the cross. You feel free to, just feel free to keep nailing those things to the cross. When they slammed the hammer into the nails of Jesus, it was the most horrifying sound that you could imagine. But tonight, once again, God even has redeemed that sound. And hearing those hammers drive the nails is nothing but a celebration of what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. He is the creator, yes. He is the creator of the universe who the very desire of his heart is to be in relationship with His creation. And that's us. And He paid the ultimate price to make that happen.
church as we leave. It's, it's just been a wonderful evening for our church family. When the enemy of your soul brings that back up, you just need to remember that it was Good Friday of 2019 and you nailed it to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he said, it is finished, he settled that issue. As you and I move forward in our relationship with him, we're getting together on Sunday morning and we are going to celebrate. Our team has got a great service set up for us. We're just going to enjoy every bit of it. I'd encourage you to invite somebody and bring somebody with you on Easter Sunday and give them, listen, I'm going to do my absolute best to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's when Jesus walked up to, to Mary and some of the others, then he said, I'm back. And they looked at him with awe. The brother of Jesus, James, was not a follower. of He was not a believer until Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then he was Jesus' brother, but, he, but Jesus was also his Lord and Savior from that moment forward. We live in the benefit of that. Let's open our arms to those in our lives. Bring them. We're going to celebrate Sunday. We're going to have a great time. Lord, bless us as we leave here this evening. God, our hearts are grateful. We recognize with clarity Mel Gibson just gave us a pretty clear picture of what that was like. And you willingly did it for us. But on the third day, you rose from the dead. And that changed history forever. And we'll celebrate that on Sunday. God bless our lives tomorrow as we relax and we come together Sunday morning and we celebrate and we worship you. Do it, we ask. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.